0: Seven six seven Extension 205. And you're listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno, and KPFA.org online. Please stay tuned for cover to cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending. Nice and tidy It's a rule. I in school, get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Picture, drop the shadow out
1: of this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today's Tuesday, April 26, 2005. Some of us are still alive this Saturday, KPFA. We'll be having a parking lot sale, yes, it's a bake sale, folks. <laughs> well, that's the way it is these days. A flea market, sort of, I guess, here. Let's see. Uh We're going to sell premiums from past fundraisers. We've got audio tapes, video tapes of KPOFA, folks. This is kind of everything sale. Homemade food, that good stuff. If you have contributions to make, you can come by Friday night and bring them to us. Uh Maybe you better call up and find out some... Uh, details about this if you 're interested uh i 'm going to try to get here for a few hours Saturday. The hours are scheduled ten to four uh why not i 'll get my funds over here, bring some books and tapes um, as a chance to argue with listeners, commiserate about the fall of empire and the general uh Going to hell in a handbasket and all that good stuff. Uh, okay, it's Saturday, April 30th. That's this Saturday. It's in the parking lot behind KPFA Radio. KPFA Radio is located at 1929 Martin Luther King Way. You know, it's in the block just north of university at MLK Way. And if you want to talk to somebody about the... Um, details, or about dropping things off, you can call us at the station. It's extension 608. That's extension 608. And the phone number here is in the five and dime area code 510-848-6767. Once again, extension 608. This Saturday. Now, this is going to benefit the new women's program starting in June 2005. And that, of course, is something very close to my heart. Says here on the blurb, clean out your closets. Bring donations of sellable items to KPFA on Friday night, April 29th, from 4 o'clock to 7 p.m. Now, that's an instruction for me. Oh, my God, I can't even find my closet. There's a little path in my apartment you know, leading from the sink to the bed, to the bookcase and to the various facilities. Uh Oh, I could get rid of most of my stuff and never miss it. Um, and you can buy your favorite premiums at a discount, it says here. Audio tapes would be my pick. Um, give a call, but drop by and see. There might be something you would want. Uh, I'm sure I can find plenty of white elephants and bring them down here. Um that's from starts at ten o'clock in the morning and goes on. It'll probably last past four, but never mind. I got here early today and I went through my mail and I got a a little kind of a kind of a well, a pang. You know, we come down here week after week, year after year, and we do this in the hope that someday somebody Somewhere we'll get it. And by God, it happens. It happens. Here's a letter from a guy in Brooklyn, New York, Brian Buckbinder. And he heard my program on the net. He said he's been listening to it for three years now. My God, what patience. Anyway, he is thanking me for my program on the late uh, radical feminist Andrea Dworkin. And he writes, I confess that I'd had some of the common mistaken opinions of her work. Your commentary impelled me to read what I could find on the net, including chapter seven of her book, Intercourse. That was one of the most controversial books. Uh, the one I would recommend beginning with is the book called Against Pornography. Uh, the writer goes on to say, among other callings, I facilitate sexuality classes for men. And what Ms. Dworkin has actually said about sexuality could and very likely will serve as my textbook. Please keep up the fight central regards, Brian Buckbinder. My God, all the way to Brooklyn, folks. I can't tell you what this does. uh, To know that somebody somewhere is listening, as we all know, that's the biggie. Uh, (laughs) As I said to one of my sons the other day, have you been listening to what I've been saying to you for 45 years? And he says, you know, how could I avoid it? Anyway, God bless them. God bless them. The guys who are able and willing to listen to women. It's hard. God knows. Uh, I was listening to Jane Fonda this noon on the uh, wonderful program here on KPFA Against the Grain. Sasha Lilly was interviewing Jane Fonda. We had her here right live in the studios here in Berkeley. Uh, that's againstthegrain.org, if you want to look it up. It's uh, yeah againstthegrain.org, at kpfa.org, right this noon, 26 April, Jane Fonda talking with Sasha Lilly. And Jane Fonda's last words were smash patriarchy. So I think, uh, <laughs> I think I will devote today's half hour to some little bits and snips and pieces of the material in a current Time Magazine piece. Uh, It's, let's see, it's the 11th April issue, yes, April 11th, 2005, Time Magazine, the one with the Pope on the cover, of course, yes, there's always a guy on the cover, but Jane is inside, and as I said, most of the time... Listening to a woman is more than guys can handle. Uh, I read here, yes, uh, in the Anderson Valley Advertiser, they refer to Jane Fonda's book as uh, An Old Biddy's Hubris. That's her book, My Life So Far, the autobiography that she's uh, out on the road talking about. Uh, An Old Biddy's Hubris. Well, fellas, uh, hmm. never mind, never mind. Uh, There will always be detractors, as we know. Um, Jane's been on the road recently, and one of the vets spat at her, and every time she's asked about this by interviewers, she's all over the media this week, and uh, she just does an Eleanor Roosevelt. She shoots right over their heads and talks about the veterans who did um, appreciate her efforts. Um, for Thursday morning, I read the little piece in her autobiography in which she explains how the picture of um, Jane in helmet sitting at the gun turret, you know, how that picture was taken and it was an accident and she she said that um, uh, she was used and We know that whole story, but, of course, it's given her baggage that uh, she's had to carry uh, ever since. Uh, And it is, of course, one of the reasons why she has not been uh, active uh, in electoral politics, although she's certainly been doing her uh, her civic duty. God only knows. Uh, What I liked best about the interview this noon was... She pointed out that uh, in her lifetime the view of America has changed so terribly. She says that she grew up in a time thinking of her father Henry Fonda and all of his movies and all that good stuff. When America was um, beloved, at least uh, we looked like we were trying to do the right thing. Uh, and now, of course, she speaks of the pain, the pain that those of us in her age group, we feel this pain of lost respect, lost regard. Um, I would date it, well, I guess I date it from the atomic bomb. But certainly we date it from the Vietnam War. Um, the pain of knowing that our country has lost the respect of so many other nations. Um, let me read you just a little bit of what Jane has to say. Uh, <laughs> yes the old bitty here's the old bitty right she says people are suspicious because i change she says breezily this is the piece in time magazine you can find this in your uh magazine store if you don't want to buy the book uh she says god help me if i didn't perhaps though they might also be suspicious because she often transforms her personal experience into a societal call to arms and she's doing so again Yes, she said, that's probably fair, sure. Um, What she resents is the inference that she's insincere or a dilettante. Um, Okay, what she is, is um, she's working on something they call the Georgia Campaign for Adolescent Pregnancy Prevention. It's an organization that uh, Jane Fonda founded after she learned that Georgia had one of the highest teenage pregnancy rates in the U.S. Uh Now, let's see. The executive director uh says that he has nineteen full time employees, an annual budget of four point two million and um he says that there's some skepticism because one of the most famous white women in the world speaks to minority families about sexual health and gender equality. People definitely come with perceptions says um, Michelle Ozumba, that's the uh, executive director of this uh, uh, campaign in Georgia. Uh, anyway, uh, it says here that this is obviously personal for her. She's been able to disarm the stereotypes. Now, politics is the one area in which Fonda has been a philosophical rock. Although she was briefly drawn into the 2004 election when a doctored photo of her with John Kerry at a supposed Vietnam War protest circulated on the Internet. She knows she's still too politically hot to support any candidate publicly. Yeah, the line she used today at, on the new internship, is just too much baggage. Uh, I think this just might be her moment. By golly, I think maybe she could throw off all that and... uh well, I don't know if electoral politics is the place for Jane. This business of uh, looking to the welfare of teenaged women seems to me that would be a top priority if I were a person with money, influence, celebrity, and all that stuff. Um, the article goes on to say that Jane Fonda, quote, hopes for a Hillary Clinton presidency, but a decade of living in a red state makes her doubt its likelihood. Instead, yes, she spends a lot of time at the multiplex. She liked the aviator and finding Neverland. yeah, those were two good pictures or with her family um let's see, and they go on about her daughter vanessa vadim thirty six um oh, yes, another daughter uh, adopted daughter, an african american daughter also thirty six Okay, then there's a son with Tom Hayden who lives in l a He's an actor. She says probably he's the white guy in the barbershop movies. <laughs> She's also doing a movie um called monster in Law. Oh dear uh actually, let's skip over the movies we all know about the movies. The thing is monster in law as she pointed out uh was a fun picture and it was nice to get back to work again and she says she gave um half the money to her uh program in Georgia um uh, my favorite movie I think my favorite Jane Bonda movie well China Syndrome and Coming Home the thing about Coming Home which I like to mention uh no oh dear it always gets us into trouble uh She has a love affair with John Voight, who is a veteran, and he's a paraplegic. And, of course, the movie uh, points out or illustrates, shows us that it is not necessary for a male to be uh, a stud in order to bring great happiness to a woman sexually, sensually. Uh, This, of course, raises the hackles of the macho establishment. Anyway, yes, coming home as sex education, I found very valuable... uh, Okay, um, what she says now is that she doesn't hunger for anything, and that includes men. Let me read you just a a little snippet of her early life, Uh, Love, Sex, and Barbarella. This is the stuff that shows you how far she has come and how much education she needed. Uh, She was, like so many women of my generation, uh, somewhat deprived of parental uh, love and help when she was young. Um, I lost my mother when I was 13 to alcoholism. Her mother committed suicide, and she mentioned the the um, sexual abuse her mother had suffered. It, it does seem to be endemic in our culture. Uh, anyway, um, she went and married this Frenchman, uh, <laughs> Vadim, and she played the part of the sex kitten. There's a picture of her in time as the space nymph, the title character in Vadim's 1968 film. It is a cult classic, and it's kind of funny. Anyway, uh she'd gone off to study painting in Paris in 1957, and she fell in with this chic set, and this director, Roger Vadim, decided to, well, let's face it, use her He had his own ideas uh, about what constitutes a good romantic relationship. She writes, Vadim had created a view of life for himself, a view shared by all his friends. It held that any show of thrift, jealousy, desire for organization and structure was a sign that you were bourgeois, God forbid. Bourgeois became the dreaded epithet. As horrifying as betrayal or dishonesty, There were even times when it was suggested that the French Communist Party had bourgeois tendencies. Oh, God, I'm cutting in here now. Boy, do I remember that. What a... Oh, I remember the late 50s and all that stuff. I saw all of these women literally rushing out to be muses and handmaidens, literally handmaidens, to these, uh, oh, let's call them the beatnik men. <laughs> so anxious these women were to serve. Anyway, Jane Fonda goes on to write, I had inherited 150000 from my mother. I have underlined that, you see. Now, that would have been enough to set her up for life. Here she is, a completely independent woman. She has economic freedom. I had inherited 150000 from my mother. At the time, it was a nice sum, something I could fall back on if I stewarded it carefully. Vadim could not comprehend why I hesitated to give him large portions of it, so that he could hire a friend to come with us to some vacation spot and work with him on a script. At first, I was horrified and said so. But over time, I began to feel that I was I was being petty and stingy, so I gave in. Only years later did I realize that Vadim was a compulsive gambler, that the locations for his films or vacations were often chosen for their proximity to a racetrack or casino. I had no idea that gambling was an addictive disease, as difficult to overcome as alcoholism, anorexia, and bulimia. Much of my mother's inheritance was simply gambled away. And again, I've put little... Little stars around this, yes. I think of Virginia Woolf talking about a room of one's own. The notion that, uh, you know, a small inheritance for Virginia Woolf meant, uh, it was from an aunt, I think, meant, uh, freedom, freedom from dependency. Oh, Jane. Anyway, uh, she gave her husband the money along with, uh, thriftiness, yes, jealousy, she writes. Was a major no no. Why did women make so much fuss about the physical act of intercourse? Just because a husband or wife, though it always seemed to be the husband, uh, although he had sex with someone else, that didn't represent betrayal. He would go on and on, it's you I love, and so forth and so forth. And, um, Yeah, the sexual revolution of the 60s showed that people were finally beginning to see what they had always known, that middle-class morality needed to be discarded for sexual freedom and open marriage. (laughs) Maybe he'd smelled it on my skin when we'd first met, that I was malleable and insecure in my sexuality. In any event, I was vulnerable to him and felt that in order to keep him to be a good wife, I had to prove that I was, in fact, the queen of non-bourgeoisness, the Oscar winner of wildness, generosity, and forgiveness. As time went on, Vadim would fail to come home in the evenings. I'd have dinner ready and he wouldn't show. Often he wouldn't even call. I would usually eat all the food I'd prepared for us, then go out and buy pastries and French glace, not nearly as satisfying as our ice cream. I'd devour all of it, throw it all up, collapse into bed exhausted and angry. Sometimes he'd come home around midnight, fall into bed drunk. Sometimes he wouldn't show up till morning. I swallowed my anger along with the ice cream, never really confronting him about uh, that behavior. I didn't want to seem bourgeois. (laughs) I didn't think I deserved better. Then one night he brought home a beautiful red-haired woman and took her into our bed with me. She was a high-class call girl employed by the well-known Madame Claude. It never occurred to me to object. I took my cues from him and threw myself into the threesome with the skill and enthusiasm of the actress that I am. If this was what he wanted, this was what I would give him, in spades. As feminist poet Robin Morgan wrote in her memoir, Saturday's Child, that's Robin Morgan's memoir, Saturday's Child, she wrote on the subject of threesomes, quote, If I was facing the avant-garde version of keeping up with the Joneses, by God, I'd show em, unquote. I have another footnote here. It's strange to say that um, I found this a little shocking. That sort of thing would never have occurred to me. I have to be grateful, deeply, deeply grateful for my uh, radical parents. Um, they really would never, never um, have taught me that such behavior was tolerable, that a woman should ever put up with that kind of bleep. Anyway, Jane goes on to say, sometimes there were three of us, sometimes more. Sometimes it was even I who did the soliciting. So adept was I at burying my real feelings, compartmentalizing myself, that I eventually had myself convinced that I enjoyed it. I'll tell you what I did enjoy. The mornings after, when Vadim was gone, and the woman and I would linger over our coffee and talk. For me, it was a way to bring some humanity to the relationship, an antidote to objectification I would ask her about herself, uh, trying to understand her history, ask why she had agreed to share our bed, questions I never asked myself. In the case of the call girls, I asked what had brought her to make those choices. I was shocked by the cruelty and abuse many had suffered. I saw how abuse had made them feel that sex was the only commodity they had to offer. But many were smart. They could have succeeded in other careers. The hours spent with those women informed my later Oscar-winning performance of The Call Girl, Brie Daniel, in Clute. Many of those women have since died from drug overdose or suicide. A few went on to marry high-level corporate leaders, some married into nobility. (laughs) That's a hint, folks. One, who remains a friend, recently told me that Vadim was jealous of her friendship with me. That uh, he had said to her once, uh, this is a quote from Roger Vadim, quote, You think Jane's smart, but she's not. She's dumb. Unquote. Vadim often felt a need to denigrate my intelligence, as if it would take up his space. I would think that a man would want people to know he was married to a smart woman, That is, unless he's insecure about his own intelligence or unless he didn't really love her. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, yes. I hesitated to write about my experiences in this regard. I thought, there are enough people who dislike me. I don't need to give them more ammunition. Then I saw that if telling my life's journey was to matter to other women and girls, I'd have to be honest about how far I'd come and about where I'd been. And she goes on to talk about you know how she's a strong can-do woman in public, uh, but behind closed doors she betrayed herself. What is it? She says it's, uh, due to a lack of self-worth. I'm not good enough. Okay. This stuff, well, you know, some of us think it's old hat or that, you know, it's all over or that it's passed with the last generation, but let me tell you, it's still out there. Uh, she says that, uh, she disconnected head and heart, body and soul. That the woman, you know, that this woman, it's not just Jane Fonda, can overlay her silence. Uh, it's, yes, a man's sense of entitlement and uh, his inability or unwillingness to read his partner's subtle body signals. He so said, This gives you the makings of a very angry woman. This woman will stuff her anger for the same reasons she silences her sexual voice. Okay, folks, this is what gave us the the wounded feminist. Uh, It's simply bad faith. Bad faith in relationships. Uh, (laughs) I remember. I remember one dear dude, now long deceased, looking sadly over his coffee back in 1957, same year. And he was complaining about his wife. He said to me that she was not... His intellectual peer, the implication being that I was and therefore deserved his uh, attentions and I think there was a little click experience, and I realized that even even at that level, yes uh, manipulated I was um, what is this this passion for male approval it's probably a good thing I've never been quite sure of. Uh, I was reading to you a little bit from Jane Fonda's memoir. It's in the April 11th issue of Time Magazine. If you want to check it out, Jane Fonda was here at KPFA this noon. Get that interview. Uh, it's in the show, Against the Grain. Never mind, never mind. Um, a love is eternal, it's spring. Uh, let me read you a couple of lines from WB Yeats before I go off the air. Let me read you a drinking song and then... I'm going to go out and smell the roses, maybe pick some from the Buddhist temple on my street. Here's a drinking song from W.B. Yeats. Wine comes in at the mouth and love comes in at the eye. That's all we know for truth before we grow old and die. I lift the glass to my mouth. I look at you and I sigh. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can.
0: Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money.
2: Every
0: Friday. ...placing
2: your keys, forgetting that phone number? It seems the older we get, the harder it is to remember. Well, one thing we never seem to forget are those old tunes. They jog our memory and remind us of people and days gone by. Unforgettable, the Berkeley Broadway Singers Spring Concert will take you back and propel you forward with the best of Broadway and beyond on Saturday, April 30th at 8 p.m. at St. Ambrose Church in Berkeley and Sunday, May 1st at 4 p.m. at St. Augustine's in Oakland. That's unforgettable. The Berkeley Broadway Singers Free Wheelchair Accessible Spring Concerts under the direction of Ellen Hoffman. Saturday and Sunday, April 30th and May 1st. For more information, call 510-604-5732 or email singbroadway at yahoo.com.
1: Celebrate children with an afternoon of jazz on Sunday, May 1st from 3 to 7 p.m. Noted jazz singer Barbara Dane and popular Bay Area saxophonist Rick Alexander perform in a benefit for the East Bay Agency for Children. Enjoy great music, food, and cocktails that's Sunday, May 1st from 3 to 7 p.m. For more information call 510-268-3770.